Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Hello and welcome. My name is Mikey Aaronworth signing on to the sign off a Frameworth podcast for yet another week. It's the forum for all the stories you didn't know you wish you knew about the world of sports and sports marketing. Today, we are continuing on our trend of digging into our vault, going to some of our earlier episodes from way back when we started this podcast. Back before we had a following like the one that we do today, I think there were some gems back in the early goings of this podcast that a lot of people may not have listened to. And this one is no exception. Prior to this recording, we had recorded podcasts with the likes of Daryl Sittler, and Doug Gilmore, a lot of Leafs legends. But on June 17th, 2021, more than a year ago, in episode 13 of the podcast, we sat down with Wendell Clark for one of the more interesting interviews we've done. And I say that because, I know I say that about a lot of the podcasts that we do, but I say that because when we posted this one to YouTube, we split it up in a bunch of different clips. And one particular clip is one of the most watched of the clips that we put out on YouTube. It was when Wendell Clark talked about the toughest player he'd ever played against. A question that I'm sure he gets asked very often, but he gave a pretty specific and kind of a unique answer on this one. The other thing I think you should look for in this is an answer that he gave that surprised me. I asked him which player in the modern NHL reminds him most of himself back when he used to play. And his answer honestly really surprised me. He he explained it in a way that that I understood, but never in a million years would I have guessed that he picked this player. So look out for that as well in this episode. One thing to actually keep in mind, a little bit of information you can get behind the scenes before we started recording this one. A story that I've told a lot of people. We were scheduled to record this at a set time. Uh, Wendell showed up a little bit early, about half an hour early or so. I was just returning from my lunch. It was one of the hottest days in the summer. I got back. I was in a rush. I had to set up the recording studio like a true professional, drenched in sweat. So when we hit record on the podcast, I was already on my back foot. Uh, I was I was hot. I think the air conditioning may have been down in the boardroom where we were recording at the time. Uh, so you can tell uh, I was I was a little bit flustered, I think, at the beginning of it. So keep an ear out for that. Maybe you'll catch it. Maybe you won't. But what you will pick up on are a lot of fantastic answers given to us by Wendell Clark. Uh, and hey, as I've said before, if there's any topics that you want to get into or any stories from your collecting history that you think would be worth featuring on the podcast once we get back up to doing some more consistent newer episodes, email us, signoffpod at framework.com and let us know. We'd love to take a look. Maybe I'll reach out to you. Maybe we can chat and see if it's uh, something we can bring on and tell a story about in one of the upcoming episodes. So without further ado, I will stop talking and I'm going to lead into the interview with Wendell Clark for episode 13 of the Sign Off, a Framework podcast. Welcome back. We're here once again with a special guest. Uh, obviously, I'm joined as always by Brian Aaronworth, the president of Frameworth and my dad, uh, as well as a very special guest. He was born in Kelvington, Saskatchewan, played uh, hockey with the Toronto Maple Leafs, Quebec Nordiques, New York Islanders, Tampa Bay, Detroit, Chicago, drafted first overall in 1985 and captained the Leafs between 1991 and 1994. We're joined by the famous... Wendell Clark. Wendell, thank you so much for joining us here. How are you doing? I'm good. I sound like middle name should have been Samsonite when you rattled off all the teams there. <laughs> I didn't actually realize you played for that many teams. Six, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh that's, uh, that's, I, I like that you have to ask. When you have to ask, you know, that's that's yeah. a pretty good sign. Um, well, as, as I mentioned kind of before we did this, and, and if you're listening to this podcast, you know, one thing that we love to focus on on this podcast is kind of the, uh, the business end of sports, the marketing side and that sort of thing. So I will get into some of the questions about your playing career and maybe some of those interesting stories from the locker room. But before then, I just kind of want to get a sense of your general relationship to memorabilia. You know, when you're growing up as a kid, obviously everyone has this affinity towards things like the trading cards, the playing cards, meeting the athletes. What was your history with that before you ever made the NHL? 
I, I really had no history. I was oh, really? a collector. My younger brother was. He sent mail in, got autographs back from Daryl Sittler and yeah. Keith Ryden. Yeah. And, and that whole, my younger brother did all that. Sent it from Calvin in Saskatchewan and then got the mail back, uh, signed, signed postcard, the old little 5 yeah. by 7s I never, I was never into that. Um, the only thing I remember is getting the first hockey card was... Uh, working with the with the Saskatoon Blades, they right. they did the little mini hockey cards with the police, and it was the Saskatoon Blades. Right, the, the cards you see passed around now is a remake of those those original cards that were started out with the police being connected. To sure. The blades. Now it's interesting because so many people that we talk to on this podcast have that experience of you know loving a certain player or a certain team or something like that. So when was it then that hockey kind of became your thing? Was it always that, and you just didn't really care quite as much about? I, I never collected anything ever. To this day, I still don't. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm I don't get attached. And in playing, growing up, I played. I didn't. You let you let your playing do the talking. You didn't need to show someone a card representing no, it. Yeah, I didn't have that. I didn't collect that. I didn't. Uh, and and then growing up, and where where I grew up, uh, and other than the people that made it ahead of me by maybe eight ten years, the Bernie Federicos, the Barry Maroses, who was from home, and uh, the people from the area. NHL seemed way too hard, way too far away. Those right. guys were too good. You watched them on TV. Right. Uh, they were they the were a separate I looked up to that I might be able to play on someday as a senior hockey team in Kelvington. Yeah. That yeah. like even junior hockey, we don't see it out in Ontario as much right now, but all the tier 2 teams have their own radio station. Tier 1 right. teams are covered on radio. So that's you sat and listened to tier 2 games and tier 1 games and got to know players' names cuz you didn't even you thought those were the greatest players. Do you still do any of that? Do you still watch some of the tier two hockey? You still parent? No, I, no, I'm I don't not since uh, well not since my son stopped uh, but got through minor hockey and I I used to catch it at Westwood or one of the arenas downtown. I'd catch some of the tier two games, um, but not not as much anymore. How's he doing? He's in Hershey, right? My son's in Hershey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. second year and uh, drafted by the Washington, Washington Capitals. Capitals. Yeah, Cody. Cody, yes. Cody. He's a second-round pick two, two, or I guess it's three years ago now. Awesome. Good stuff. Um, now, I do have uh, one one quick question. Um, were you aware before you were in, you know, involved in, in the league uh, itself, how much business went on behind the scenes there? Like, in terms of these things like sports marketing, sports memorabilia, like you like you said, you just played when you were a kid. When, when I started, I don't think it had even started yet. Right. And at, at the NHL level, it was just... It was just there. The cocky card. I think was it was there two kinds, the Opeachy and one Tops yeah. there would have been. Yeah. It, yeah. Tops came in my second year, I think, but my first year I think it was just Opeachy. What was that? What year was 85, that? 86. 85, 86. Right. right. So we started in ninety two and we were well, again, we were at the forefront of it. But that was I was never a card collector either. Right. Well, we got the tall boy cards that the that set that Dr. Price reproduced or something. And and we use those around memorabilia, but that was in '92, and that was a big thing. Sure, yeah, that's yeah. It was more late '80s, early '90s is when this, from what like you, you think of the old uh, Doug Laurie Sports at uh, right. Maple Leaf Gardens out front, right? When when you think of it, there was no advertising on the boards, no advertising anywhere. You went into Doug Laurie Sports, and it was either a jersey, a mini stick, or a hat, and a, and, and a hat. And a bad golf shirt. <laughs> Remember the golf shirt, but you'd wear oh, it, yeah. wash it once. You had to throw it out. Yeah. It was a bad, but that was really it. Yeah. for memorabilia. So um, in the arena. So uh, you were kind of on the forefront there because we talk about like the you know the especially the early '90s days in the Leafs when it was you know you and Gilmore playing kind of hand in hand yeah. at that point. It, it was it was 
unstoppable the force that you guys had in Toronto. And that seems to be like, especially with the start of Frameworth as well, kind of the onset of this new realm of marketing and memorabilia in sports. Now, did you recognize it starting or did you kind of, you know, someone would ask you for, for an autograph? uh, Yeah. Well, the autographs has been forever, right? We started, you probably started signing autographs in midget, right? uh, Out West and big tournaments and stuff that were on. Uh, But people, that's when it was, it wasn't for money then it was just the autograph sure sure and that that was kind of right up until uh mid 80 or yeah in the mid 80s early 80s and late to late 80s and then it would have been where where we noticed it or paid attention to it the most was we were taking the two runs to the semifinals and the jays were winning right right and then at christmas in those years i think the police came to us once um some somebody counterfeited Hundred or two hundred thousand autographs between the three big J's and the three no big way. Leaves. So they, you you as well? Yeah, like it was Dougie, myself, and I think Felix, and I want to say Alomar, Carter, Borders, or something like yeah, in, yeah, in that yeah, in yeah. that. Wow! And the police were because they were none of us assigned any of this stuff. Right, like these right. were big numbers, I and I could have even and it could have even been. 250 or higher. Well, yeah, usually when they... They're in a garage that they busted and we're going, I would remember signing that many. Right. Oh, for sure. Um, And none of us, between all the players, we haven't signed. And that's when it started getting... Well, there was big money in it because um, that was the hottest... I mean, again, fortuitous, we started in 92. The Jays were hot. The Leafs were on fire. Everybody was playing well. And I remember your jersey, Doug Gilmore's jersey, stuff that people would not have... Uh, it, previously, you'd ask for an autograph. It was more of an excuse to walk up to the player and say hi, and then you'd ask. Yeah, for an it autograph. was to commemorate a specific but interaction. Then all of a sudden, it became you know all these live auctions and silent auctions became part of the norm, and people would buy a Doug, and then you would get guys in in an auction that would you know it was like a big dick contest. So who's <laughs> going to pay the most for for the for the thing and. So one guy would say, well, I'll pay $200 for that jersey. Another guy, well, I'll pay three. And then we get up to $1,000 right. for, for a Wendell Clark jersey. And it was just, and, you know, it was a wild west. Nobody really knew right. what those jerseys were going to end up being worth. The value was whatever someone was willing to pay for it on right. that given day. Yeah, right. right. And to be at the forefront of that must have been fantastic. Like you said, there was just such a groundswell of support for Toronto teams at that point in time. And you being at the forefront of that, like I, like I mentioned with you and Dougie, you were clearly two of the crowd favorites at that point, kind of the saviors of the team. I'm sure you hear this all the time, but I've always wondered, you being in that situation, was there ever a bit of a rivalry internally between the two of you to see who would be the the bigger favorite or no? Could care less. Oh, really? Well, the better the team does, the better the players do, and sure. you do better. Sure. An individual in this market proves it better than any other market. You can have great season and your team does nothing, your marketability does not carry over time. Yeah, absolutely. But your team does well. Right. And you might only be average. Your marketability will carry a That's long time because the fans, re- here's where the fans, re- just like playoffs, it is the playoffs, fans get into hockey or anything at playoff time. Yes. So now they're right in with the player every day. And so that really makes the player more popular because that fan is really watching. He's really paying attention. He's reading all this stuff. Regular season is kind of regular season. Yeah, yeah. But playoffs really puts... And so if you have good playoff friends, and I just go back, like uh, Daryl didn't win a cup. Right. But look at the... Between the Canada Cup and the two playoff runs, I think that he had the semifinals. Um, 
where there was Daryl and Lanny yep. and Paul. The game winning goal. Remember, and the, you, yep. you just remember the team. Right. 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 It's the team that does it. Not that Daryl even got the game winning goal. Yeah. It's right. you remember Daryl, but you remember the team first and then the individuals. That's a great point. And, and so that, and that kind of goes you, 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 why you want good playoffs, uh, even not so much in the marketing end, but players that are coming to come up this year as free agents. If they played on one of the two teams uh, in the finals, and they're a fourth, third, fourth liner, they're getting re-signed right away. Right, right. They have experience on a winning team. Right. That goes a long there way. There might be a player that lost out, didn't team didn't make the playoffs, and he's just as good as that player that made it to the finals. How, how much of your experience in that 93 uh, era kind of spoke to the rest of your career and, and your ability to to perform in the playoffs and your standing among those teams because those those years were kind of the most successful years Toronto has had in a very long time. Obviously, losing to to L.A. was a big one. With By the way, coach of L.A. at the time, Barry Melrose, Barry Melrose was your cousin, is yeah. he not? And and grew up as, as well because you mentioned Barry Melrose earlier in this yeah. story. Yeah, yeah. Any animosity there or no? There's no... I have not an animosity of any player ever. Oh, really? No, because it's a game. That's I, even I, the ones we have. A, put it this, yeah. Put it this way: if I'm building a hockey team and I have animosity on my team, I don't want them there. That's fair. Yeah, I, I don't care how good the player is. Yeah, yeah. And this comes from a, a, a tough guy that that had many fights, and yet I, what I find uh, from knowing a lot of different players, especially you know, well, Wendell was a great player and pretty tough out there too. A lot of guys were just fighters. Other guys Captain were, Crunch, great but, nickname, by the way. <laughs> but at the end of the day, uh, I find it amazing when I go to a celebrity golf tournament and all these guys that, that were just pounding on each other over the years. Right. How close they are, almost closer than the other guys. There's a mutual respect and all yeah. that stuff. So Dude, it's not like you hate the guy because he hit you once. Right. You know? No, actually, the guys that battled the hardest on the ice are probably the closest off the ice because they had to play that same role on their team. Right. right. They understood what he was going through because we we're going through the same thing on our team. It's a job. And, it's a profession. And, yeah, you're just out there and and you don't carry it over. It's it's on the ice and I'm there to win. Right. Like you're not playing for you know at the level right now the NHL is going on in the playoffs. They're not playing for participation badges and right. we had a nice game, but we lost. Right. You win or there's consequences. And that's pro sports. That's, it's it's that's, funny. There, there's a story. We were talking uh, earlier on a, a previous episode about Eddie Shack. He comes up. He used to come in here literally every day, and, and we can't say enough good things about him. And he tells a story that I found absolutely fascinating. I heard it when I was quite a bit younger, so I didn't understand that professional respect that you would have for another player just doing the same thing as you on another team. And he tells the story about being on vacation with Gordy Howe and they would go at each other and they're having a couple drinks together and at one point Gordy turns to Eddie and he says let's make a deal you no longer hit me on the ice I'll no longer hit you on the ice and he says from that point in time that pact they actually didn't go after each other in that capacity on the ice I which mean, I feel played fascinating the game like that should be played but they weren't going after he, each he, other what Eddie says is there was a time he could have lined him up way more than he needed to and he pulled back because of that agreement so I, I always found that funny do you do you have any uh, uh, stories or interactions with Eddie Shack? What, what's your relation yeah, with- no no I met Eddie right from the you know mid 80s uh, like everybody else uh, when I got here and they probably threw away the mold on Eddie when, oh, okay. uh, when Eddie was made and, and, and big, colorful character and prime time example of a, a role player had he not played in Toronto on winning teams and he played in another market. Right. Eddie's not Eddie. Right. That's true. That, right. that, that, well, that's, he went goes to back, goes six back, other teams too, I think. Yeah, exactly. Goes back to playing in marketing in the right spot, being a key role player in situations and a character. Yeah. 
See, a lot of our characters changed now. It started changing, well, changed in the late 80s, especially because that's when all of the guys that have no helmets right. quit playing. Right. And then you get into 2000s, you have power skating. So everybody skates good now. Everybody, there's no, Brad Marsh comes out with no helmet on. He plays this way. Everybody had a personality. Sure. Just be, how they grew up playing the game. Where today you're, you're all skill coach and you're everybody, and you got the mask and visor. There's not as much personality oh. for the people to get to know these players. I where, love that. I love that. You get an yeah. Eddie Shack or a Daryl Sittler started without the helmet. Like these guys, that was these fans knew those players because they seen them with no mask, no helmet. Right. So they knew that person. Well, there was Guy Lafleur with the flowing, the flowing hair, hair the hair. Uh, Duguay in New York. Yeah, we're all like those were imagine imagine that personality without that stuff and marketing it today where you could actually see the mannerisms of the face and the yeah. with all the TV like back then there was what I think it topped out when I started three camera angles in the right. gardens right, right. or picture what yeah. they have today under like you They've can't got get away slow with motion shots today. of your face yeah if you do anything behind behind the, the, the play, behind the play. One referee there was more stuff going on back then than <laughs> nothing yeah. got called well, I mean, that's obviously, you know, you, you almost can't get into a conversation uh, with you and modern sports without talking about how much these things have changed, especially when it comes to the interactions on the ice. And and we were talking earlier, my dad and myself, about the role of fighting and grit in, in hockey as it stands right now. I mean, you were known for giving it your all on the ice, as a lot of players in the modern day do as well. But there's always this weird, you know, to get into the marketing side of it, there's always this weird... Uh, uh, interaction between the NHL who wants to sell and market themselves as this big tough sport and limiting what you can do in terms of selling an image of a penalty or someone bleeding or you know what do you have any thoughts on the way that the NHL deals with violence in their sport I mean not to put you in any hot water but uh, no no because I, I really don't know the ins and outs sure. of what their exact rules are but they're probably looking out for the bigger picture right yeah right. but you know there's a conflict there Wendell because some of the best shots that I have, you know, you got the shot of Dougie where he's like, he's, he's got blood dripping right, from him. Right. He's at, you know, we call that the warrior and it's one of the best sellers. You hitting somebody real hard or a fight scene. The NHL will not let us license those photos. Is that right? See, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's pretty they interesting. They don't want blood. They don't want, they don't want us marketing it. And yet on the other side of that, EA sports, the video games, one of the whole parts of that, I don't play those yeah. games, but I understand there's a fighting mechanism in there. Fighting mechanism, and every year they so, talk about so the improvements to the realism in fighting. Fight. Like it's, yeah. to, we're not allowed to show it. We're not allowed to promote it, but they, they let EA Sports do it because it sells video games, and they're a much bigger picture than we are. Right. So people love that. T- you know, one of the greatest shots of all time was uh, Nolan Ryan when he got hit with the ball, and he's, right. and he's pitching with the blood dripping down. And everybody loved that photo. It just shows the grit and the toughness yeah. of the sport. And yet, um, the NHL doesn't want mm. that. To do you out. do you miss any of that? I mean, the, the kind of the focus on the grit in the NHL now, or does it not bother? It was an era that's well, now kind of gone. I take it for as it comes. Like it, it comes, and and then it's going to keep evolving. Right. If I say I like it the way it was, then you're the old guy that can't move on, and it, it, so it's. Because there's a lot of toughness in the players, but the back in the mid '90s, the rules started to change, where the NHL dictated what rules were. Right, fighters right. didn't dictate how the game was played. And right, toughness, the rules are, and and so that's kind of how it's dictated. They don't want fighting to dictate it. Well, fighting changed 
in 2000. Right. Because players were now starting to train to fight. Right. Not right. train to play hockey. Right. And the players started getting to be 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", 250, 260, 270, and training to fight, right. not play. Right. And so the NHL, I want to say, I'm, I have no proof, is now scared of something's going to happen here because these guys, then they're texting back and forth in the dressing room deciding when they're going to fight each other. There's this. Oh, I didn't even so, realize so that. Going, wow. this has, so the NHL, to their point, is going, this has nothing to do with the game. Right. Right. So and I understand, I agree and I understand yeah. why you don't want that. Yes. I want the spontaneous, instant stuff like like we just said with uh, uh, the Fleno getting in the fight with right. Perry. Right. I said, I'm all for that. I, I just wish the building was full. Right. If people think, well, it was an accident. What happened to John? And everybody, you know, that a bad case. Sure. But Fleno being an ex-captain says, I have to wake our team up again. We have to get back to playing hockey. Right. This, right. We right. just took right. 40 minutes here. So... We're fighting. Yeah. Not because of the fight, not because you were, it was an accident, only to get my bench awake to say, we have a hockey game. And if it's a part of the game, then that's, well, that's he's reasonable. just waking the bench up. Yeah. And, and even Sidney Crosby told me a story. And he's not a fighter. Right. But at one point, um, I think it was Matt Niskanen. Yeah, I think it was Niskanen. Yeah. And he's lining up against him and he says, we're going to go. Right. And this, me? What, what are you talking about? He says, we're going to go. And he just it was just to wake the team up. Was it? And, really, and he had a fight. And he doesn't fight very often. No, yeah. we, have, we had teams like Dougie, probably the best player, I always say, between 92 to 94, those two-year windows, two, that two-year window. I don't know if there was a better player in the NHL for what he did for our team. Sure. That, yeah. I'm not saying Dougie's Wayne Gretzky over 50 sure, years, but sure. for that two-year window, I don't know if there was yeah. a better player in the NHL for what he did and what he did for our team. And he'd be looking at our team maybe being dead on a – you know, going into the second period, yep. and he's our team that you know he's he's usually getting two points if we're winning, and so if he sees us dead, he knows the cavalry's coming if he starts something. Yeah, like right, if somebody right. does something to Dougie, so he'll go automatically and start something in Just hopes that he, he knows gets attacked. The, and he knows the cavalry's the coming because that's our best player. He's not. Be- <laughs> oh wow! I love- and all of a sudden it changes the game it because now momentum. you're doing that to our best player. So now the second line wakes up, third line wakes up, and he knows that. Yeah. Because he's looking around going, this is a pretty dead. A our building's strategy. dead. And, 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 you know, like you said, Sydney would have done that. And our team's pretty dead today. If I do something that's not normal for me, yeah, our team's going to say, oh, look what he's like. Right. And that and they starts a team. And that's that's the personality of players. You can really make the game yeah, one way. Sure. But it's these personality things in different, not always fighting or not always, that really – dictate your team and oh yeah play. i have a, a, a just a quick question on something that i keep thinking about so in his day scott stevens was one of the the biggest hitters in the game mm-hmm. like he was open a ice devastating yeah. hitter and some of them he, he just knocked guys right out right and i'm sure that under today's standards some of those hits would be a five game suspension uh, because i'm not sure they were all not headshots they i mean he just went after them and hit them sure I think the definition of charging was a lot different. Where would he be in today's game, a guy like Scott Stevens? Or do you feel that they were all... He'd be a $10 million defenseman. Mm. He still would be. The biggest thing all teams want right now is the big fella in Washington. Right. No, I I was talking more... No, but I'm just saying, but that's that type of style that nobody, no teams have and everybody wants. Right, right. Because it's not what you bring up. It's not what's talked about anymore. It's not how the game's played. Right. But after game 82... And game one starts again. 
oh, we want north and south. You have to be able to score in around the crease. You have to make it hard on the other team to play games. Right, right. And so the Scott Stevens way, like, because he could do it all, plus right, be right, mean. Right. So if you can play 30 minutes and you're mean, that's like four players. Mm, that's that's like, like you're player. playing 30 minutes, so that's like two guys. Right. And then you're the dimension of mean or finesse or last minute or first minute, like that's invaluable. His. Yeah. There's no question what a great guy, right. great player he was. What, yeah. what I love about this is I think from an outsider's perspective, someone, let's say someone who doesn't really watch hockey or just a casual viewer, they probably view the violence of it or, or you know, the fighting and, and the grit as almost barbaric without thought. That's the people who don't know what they're doing and they just go and clash heads. But from the perspective of someone who's been into it and who's also been a very talented and skilled player uh, like yourself to shed this light on what that means to a hockey team and how the sport progresses when that's an element of it. I think that's, that's, that's a great perspective well, to have. And, and toughness today isn't maybe, and, and really there was no fighting really ever in playoffs. Right. Right. In history. Right. Right. Maybe one, you know, we had one, in the LA series right. where I got in a fight, but that was it in the whole playoff. Yeah. So in toughness doesn't mean always fighting, but you have to play in that area to score goals. Right. What did Montreal do? They're now going into the semifinals. What did they do at Christmas of this year? They started getting rid of all their small defensemen and got big defensemen. Right. Right. Because they knew who's been in the playoffs more than the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. Come playoff time, the game's changed. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have the best goalie. So if we make sure the front of our net is consistent and you don't do anything high risk. And that's what they do. They just collapsing in and around score yeah. from outside. Or if you do score from inside, it's going to hurt. Right. Yeah. That's, right. that's never changed in hockey. Take, take an era, this era, my era, seventies era, sixties sure. era. You talk to the guys that won come playoff time inside that box in front of the net. And the size has changed, but guys like Tim Horton, Bobby Bond yep. were so tough. Yeah, like, like Bobby Bond was more nor- not for regular season. It's all Bobby Bond's playoffs because it's his style of a play. Okay, now it matters how I'm playing. Right, right. Because now you're hard. You want guys that are hard to play against. Well, with that, because I think you would very much see yourself as that way. I mean, the, the formula you're talking about is the way that you would have played the game. You know, be tough, make it hurt to play against you. Even if you get a goal, it's going to hurt, that sort of thing. And you started out as a defenseman. So it was, a, I think you were originally drafted as a defenseman. Is yeah. that correct? Yes. Um, so first of all, quick question. Were you involved in the decision to shift you from defense no, to I offense? showed up at training camp. I read my name on the door. You're dressing him in the leaf room. You're playing left wing with Courtney and Lino. Wow. And your reaction? I guess I'm a Got to do what I got to do. <laughs> as long as I'm not going back to junior, I don't care where I play. That's I fair. I played three games forward and three games defense in the World Junior. Okay. That's where I first played. I made the World Junior team as a forward. 85 and you won that? 84, yeah, we yeah. won in Finland the gold medal. And Terry Simpson and Sherry Basson were taking a team to Finland. So they said, we, we want to take like eight defensemen. Right. So in order for you to make the team, will you play forward if we want you to play forward? And they did that to me, myself. And John Miner, who played for the Regina Pats, who had oh, the great. same style as me, offensive, yeah. kind of physical. So we both made it as uh, forward slash D-men, but we were D-men in junior. What did you enjoy playing more? I, I always you... enjoyed playing defense as yeah. a kid. That, yeah. The kid, and I, I tried to get my son to play defense. He wouldn't. Right. It's it's not, center's like the fun thing. That's to play, the sexy one to play now, yeah. Wing, but yeah. I said, I try to talk about it because you grew up in a small town if you play defense, there's only three defensemen on your whole team. Right, right. You, you, out of a 60-minute game, you play 58 minutes. Right. That's so right. That's, I mean, and there was no, oh, you stay back or you do this. You, you start with the puck. It's the old Bobby Orr. Exactly. He never left the ice growing up 
Yeah. He never, right up through Dill Jr. He never left the ice in the NHL either. How how many minutes? Yeah. And then you play in Boston Garden where you don't have to skate anywhere. Right. Remember how small it was? He could play all, I remember watching Ray Bork play all game in Boston. Ray Bork could play 28 minutes on the road. 48 minutes at home. Now, is that a conditioning thing or is that a difference in the way that the... They, he, because those guys just skated effortlessly. Yeah. Effortlessly. Yeah. But really good guy. Like probably in my era, just after me, the guy that could conserve energy, didn't skate like those guys. It was a guy like Pronger. Right. Yeah. So smart that everything was done. I don't know if there was a better guy than Lidstrom. Ever. Right. I, as I, far as... I try to make that argument like, all the time. Like, like, like is where to be at the right time and not ever look like you're working, but you take the puck off the guy. Sure. Like he could, he's a bit in my era because I got to play with him just a bit in Detroit. And you don't realize until, okay, every day in practice. Yeah. Yeah. He come and just takes the puck away from you. <laughs> like he could play, like I had to be physical because that's how I got to be a better player. Right. Right. He could play the game so smart that he didn't have he to didn't get have very to physical. Abuse, he didn't have to abuse his body to be that good. Right. Yeah. And he had if a very you can't be that good, you have to do the other things to be good. That story but, of my life. <laughs> but that's why, you know, he could just be so good and and not look like he's trying he's right so good at and it. it's not and that's not to take anything away from the way that you were playing but the the question that i was i was going to get to earlier was you know your style of play the one that you're talking about that specific kind of person that is hard to find in the nhl right now who do you think right now mimics that the most because a lot of people on the leafs have tried to come in and enact the wendell clark formula even so much as like david clarkson you know wanted like yeah you can't with the style it right. all depends on the style your team plays. Our team doesn't play that style, so you can't play it game in, game out. Right. You can't play that way. Do you think there's a player outside of the Leafs in the league that reminds you most of yourself? Well, in, in a lot of ways, you take Wilson in in, in Washington and right. add 30 goals to his name. There you go. There you but, go. But yeah. true, like he's, and I feel bad some ways. You're asking him to play on the line because that's when he's really effective. He's right from fourth line tough guy to first, second line, but you got to play on the line. Yeah. That's when you're good. You're intimidating. Well, the odd time he's going to cross it. Of course. So you can't, and the team doesn't throw him under the bus. They say, okay, that's he's going to get suspended. Yeah. Yeah. But I, like, I only had to, I maybe suspended one game ever. But that, those guys that play on the edge. See, and those are the guys that uh, you want to have on your, like, fans would love to see Marshawn. Yeah, Wilson. Yeah. You want them on your team. Always. But you hate them on the well, other cause team. Well, because you, you, you're, if you're going to score, like, Pat Burns, um, his whole thing playing in the worst home building to be in is Toronto mm-hmm. because there's 12 players from Ontario on every team. Right. Right. So they're having another home game. Like right. in our era, Bellows comes in, he's getting three goals tonight. So we have to, as a team, score four. Wow. Bellows is getting three. Right. Howard Chuck's coming in, he's getting four or five points. So you're saying when you say the hardest, because I'm thinking when you say the hardest place to play in, I'm thinking like, well, the fans are really tough, but you mean no, no, everyone's from home. Because everybody's come. This is their home game. Oh, I never like we thought go to play about in New that. Jersey. There's no home game for us in New Jersey. Nobody cares to be playing. Right, right. But you come in all these and superstars, like from the Bellowses to the Gretzky come in. Like, we better get seven goals tonight because he's got six <laughs> points. Yeah. yeah. Like and- that's... He's got half the fans in there rooting for him too, because he said, uh, "How many times are the opposing players that you know call you and say, hey, can you get me a couple more?' Right, tickets? I got right, forty right. Fam- fans yeah. coming in. And yeah. So this building, and Pat Burns, Burnsy, and same with Brophy and Maloney, who were my early coaches. We had a couple of playoff runs in the eighties yep. there too. Yeah. But like Burnsy said, I want them. We may lose at home, but they're going to limp out of here with their hands in the air. There you go. They're not yeah. going to walk out of here with a smile. Right. Right. And that was how. 
you know, Dougie, if I played with Dougie in the first line, which I really didn't play with Dougie until playoffs. No. Yeah, yeah. Because we created a, 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 I'd play with Eastwood or John Cullen for the regular season and then move up and down. Dougie would play on two lines in the playoffs. Yeah. Like Dougie would play first line, third line. <sighs> but it, the first line, okay, you play with Dougie, you can play this way. Sure. The other three lines, you dump it in, finish your check, and the guy doesn't get up. Yeah, yeah. That, that was Pat Burns. That's wear them down by the end of the game. Or the end of the series. They're going to regret winning if he they win. He was a really well-liked coach by the players, wasn't he, or no? No, no, yes and no. At the time, respecting. you're not, you're not, you're respecting. The, the big thing is respect because you're winning. Right. He went, you know, all of a sudden he turned Cliff Fletcher and then brought all the guys in and Bernsey and then we were winning. So that was what he brought in this. And, and, and Bernsey was one of those coaches that coach, I call it the 110%. Sooner or later, there's a burnout factor. Because there's yeah. no such thing as 110%. Right, right. Sooner or later, you've burned. And they know that. So he goes from Montreal to Toronto to Jersey to Boston. to He knows that shtick wears out every three and a half years. Similar to like Tortorella. You same think, as Tortorella. Same, same yeah. old Keenan. Like, but they know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. know that it's going to. But he was. That's how hard he pushed. So he's a tough, a tough, tough. tough see, I go tough cop. And then. Yeah, yeah. At, and, and the thing with players. We're 20 years old to 25. The coaches, and Bernsey was probably the younger, late 30s, 40s. And I always explain to people, well, players want players coaches. I said, the players and coaches are never going to see eye to eye. I right. says, it's like kids. Right. Like, oh, do I yeah. see, does my son at 20 see eye to eye with me at 50? Right. Not a chance. Right. And that's the same. You have yeah. a 50-year-old coach coaching 20-year-old hockey players. That hockey player may not understand the knowledge of what he knows well i mean what good is a coach that just says yep good job you're that's great awesome it's just never gonna work right name me all the teams that win where everybody likes the coach fair yeah best coach ever in hockey is who (sighs) scotty bowman scotty bowman yeah with most wins right talk to the montreal canadians detroit red wings and see how high but they respect the big thing how he can pull it and you win but he did do things that were always fun and nice, and it didn't matter who you were. You right. could have been Stevie Eisman or Larry Robinson. Sure, he didn't pull punches. Sure, and and, and though you talk to those players, and they know that they yeah. they he didn't let them off the hook. Any any player that comes in, and hockey's probably one of the teams because basketball you see the best player run the team. Right, right. A player cannot run a team. It, 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 it will not. Hockey, he yeah. has to be one of the soldiers, even if you are the superstar. And yeah. I think you're you're proving it with that Edmonton Oilers oh, team man. that won under Sather. Those guys, that it was still him. Yeah. yeah, that kept all of them. You had Wayne Gretzky, you had Messier, and a lot of personality. Think, think of it as a coach. You that has that many good players. Sure, like, re- you have to be able to say. And not have that player go backwards on you because he's got more power than you do. Right, right. right. And that's that happens a, from time to time. It happens in time, yeah. And so a lot of respect because that's that's a harder animal to handle sometimes is the superstar. For sure. Now, I, you know, we've talked about kind of, uh, you know, some coaches that may get under the skin of the players and things like that. But I, I want to I turn to the locker room a little bit. And I want to talk to you about some of the best memories that you have for maybe some specific players. Who is the one player that you knew every time you went into the locker room was going to be able to put a smile on your face. Someone just a, a jokester, some someone who who you um, just really buddied up with. Uh, probably, you know, guy we started and played the longest together was Todd Gill and I started in the '80s together, and then we're part of the '90s. Yeah, so we we lived through the '80s, and sure. the '90s when it was really good, and and there's a guy that. He took a lot of heat all the time, being that fifth, sixth, seventh defenseman, then a two-three defenseman, a little guy, and 
played everything with his heart. Yeah, yeah. Like he'd be right in the face, and he's going to make mistakes, but he's not because of not trying or not right, caring. It's right. just oh, I messed up. Right. I own up to it. Bang. Yeah, my fault. Like, but just come to the rink every day, wanting to play. Were you were you uh, on the as a rookie? You were playing with him. Yes. Yeah. And what was okay? Now, one thing that I always love to hear is you. You know, you brought this up when you talked about coaches. How coaches they just have a different level of experience and and, and expectations as a player, a new player in the league. You're also, I feel like, probably trying to cash in a little bit on being in the NHL and enjoying your life as an NHL star. Do you have any stories or memories from your first year in the league that, you know, without going into the details, maybe you wouldn't have gotten away with in today's league? Maybe some some stories of just going out with the team and and showing up to practice I, a little I can tell late. You a lot so, of stories like that, but we're not allowed to talk. That, about <laughs> you guys can take it, but I can't talk. That's like that. fair. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, no, no. Like I always say, even with our play, when I explain to people our our Matthews, Marner, yeah. Nylander, when they come in here and people all oh, the pressure of being a young guy playing in Toronto, I right. Mean, they have zero pressure. They are having so much fun as an 18, 19, 20-year-old is the first year. Right. They've dreamed of being at that level. For sure. So now they're doing it every day. Yeah. So we as a fan are thinking, oh, how young they are and how much pressure. And they're like, this is so much fun. Like they're walking, you're walking into your dressing room. Like in our day, I'm walking in the dressing room. It's Maple Leaf Gardens. The history you're walking through the hallways look like this right. room. Right. There, I learned the history of the, of the Toronto Maple Leafs not by reading books. Right. By walking around the hallways after practice. That's great. That's how I figured out, you all know. Those frames all, in the hallways, all, those blue frames. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything was the history of the game is within those hallways. Yeah. And 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 so the the, the young side, then you get, you know, your, your uh, my first car accident. Okay. I'm in Scarborough and Russ Courtney's there. We're on the way to the Jays game. And uh, we're going to be late. Go around this bus. So the city bus is right there. <laughs> So I go up on the sidewalk around the city bus turns. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. That's it. That's it. And so everybody there knew knew who Russ and I were, right? <laughs> going to the rookies, going to the Jays game. And and normally it's a typical car accident. Everybody's just gone. No, everybody's going to stay and be a witness. Oh, because <laughs> they all want to. We got 500 people. <laughs> Can you guys not go on with your day? Please. No, no. I'm a witness of what you just did. <laughs> they want their story. I always thought Captain Crunch was because you hit people on the ice, oh, but it's no. got you got crunched by a bus at one point. No, and and uh, I, I think I had, a, I had a car deal in the was it the 90s playoffs, and I was coming home in between the games or in between practice, morning skate and practice. Yeah. So I was right behind, uh, right off Bloor Street, behind the behind the university cutting through so you stay away from the busy intersection getting a fender bender right there and nothing major tow trucks come tv cameras are there because oh, soon no. as it's on the radio that it's you every tv every cop every everybody knows and so then the car dealer goes what are you kidding me i go just look at the publicity you got me sitting on the front end of a car in a car accident and i'm okay <laughs> yeah because of your car. i'm okay because of your car like, great safety <laughs> All of a sudden, it's like, boom. Yeah, like, yeah. Now, so everybody was there. So that's, I mean, obviously playing in Toronto, it's going to be an element of it, whether the pressure gets to you or not. But have, were there ever those situations, you know, you, you get in a car crash, witnesses want to speak one way or another to what happened and it may get you into some hot water. Were there ever any situations that you wouldn't have been able to get yourself out of unscathed had you not been who you were in Toronto? Anytime that any, anytime it benefited you. <laughs> well, there's a lot of, the first time I got traded to Quebec. Yeah. First time. Traded to Quebec on the other side of Kingston going to training camp. I got my first speeding ticket. Did you get it or did you? No, I got I wasn't oh, okay. a leaf no longer. Oh. I got my speeding ticket. Oh. 
So you got off a few before then. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, I do get tickets in Ontario. Oh, that's amazing. So now you just have to be careful when you're driving through that part of the border. That's yeah. that's fantastic. What about nowadays? You still treated with the same respect in uh, All depends. Toronto? Yeah, young guy, not a young guy. It's uh, you, you never know. Or some guy, you might get a young guy and he gives you a ticket. And then, because we are living up in Aurora. And then he'll come back and tell his buddies and all the other cop buddies are going, really? You gave it to him? <laughs> no, they're hard on him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, it's a funny thing because we talk about marketability when you say, you know, you still get the same respect for in our business. Oh man. And I'm, I'm happy to be in Toronto as a home base because this is probably the number one market in terms of memorabilia and what it is. But the current players, yes, we, we work with Marner and Tavares and Riley and, and all the guys, Matthews, but we, but our bestseller alumni, there's a core of four or five guys yeah. that are day in, day out, continue to sell after all these years. Like Wendell, actually, the reason I kind of uh, looped him into this thing was because <laughs> we needed more autographs. Yeah. So we did a, a quick signing before the podcast, and we're always running out. There's always new things, and I'm trying to create new ideas and new things that we can market that haven't been out there before. But of course he's been around for so long. So it's really hard to do, but day in, day out, um, Daryl Sittler's 10 point night can, I don't know who keeps buying those. things. I don't know who keeps buying, uh, but you create new fans like they, the history of the Leafs. And here's a good question. It said, if again, the Leafs win again, Will that popularity of the say the '67 mm. guys that the last winning team would that still would they still be there? Mind you, I think a lot of the kids are. I are, bet you it goes the. I, I think you win over more fans. Like look at what happened to the Raptors. I mean, now you know you win you win it, and now there's so much more appreciation for the history of the you Raptors. Do, the winning w- yeah. winning is the ultimate. We yeah. always uh, we as alumni and I preached to our alumni. I said we want our guys to do the best they can do. I am never jealous of how good these yeah. guys are. Yeah. I says, because the better they do, they've upped the bar because of how high the bar can go with these new young guys. Right. Well, then there's just a trickle-down effect for everybody. Yeah. Sure. I said, but if you're not winning and there isn't good players, that trickle-down effect, all of a sudden, we, now you're off the radar. That's well, fair. You, you That's made fair. that point and, earlier. And, and, and so um, we want our guys, because now you're in the, and, and we tell the guys when I bump into them or walk in the dressing room and talk to the guy, says, my job is being out in the people. You guys really aren't. You're protected in right. today's game. Right. I'm Daryl, Dougie, yep. we're Darcy and Curtis who are in part ambassadors, of that. Ambassadors, yeah. Ambassadors. I said, we like nothing more to prop you guys up because you're playing so well. Of course. Well. No, because yeah. that, that, that's, that's fun. Winning is fun. Yeah. You mentioned the ambassador thing, and I want to bring this up because it just came up with a couple of other teams. Um, the Leafs are, for many years, uh, under Harold, Harold Ballard, uh, it, didn't really do that much for the alumni. I think the new uh, regime that came in said, look, we got to get these guys back into the building. We got to use them as ambassadors. Um, and it's been very successful. I mean, uh, the Cliff new- Fletcher started with Daryl right. coming back in that 90, 91. I want to say, I think Daryl came back. So now I'm working with a lot of teams in the NHL. One of them um, upcoming uh, is the Islanders. And I've been talking to a number of the big stars from the, their dynasty teams, uh, uh, Mike Bossy, Danny Podfan, uh, Clark Gillies, Trotz, all those guys. And, and they say, yeah, the, the team will get you back up here um, for a special event. They'll fly up and give you a little per diem, and that's it. But I really feel that you guys as ambassadors to the 
team. You're around the building. You're handing out jerseys. You're shaking hands with the fan. It keeps the history and the yeah. tradition alive. And, and the Leafs get it. Montreal always got it. Like They treated their alumni yeah, no, like no, no, gold. Very good. Um, but some of the new teams don't get it. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm, I'm you know, trying to – the Islanders. And it's about is spending a little money on the guys and treating them a little better. Sure. But I think it's a big deal. Well, the, the big thing they make – because, you know, you know how expensive tickets are if you're in, in, in Toronto or anywhere. But remember, and it, I, I told the story about it. I said, Daryl comes in and he's head-to-head with everybody 50 and older. Right. Mm grandfathers did it right who are going to tell the grandkids all about watching daryl and yeah then i'm all of a sudden i'm hitting the father stage and right. Dougie, we're like right. the father stage just behind daryl then you got darcy and curtis that come in and they're just the and so the, the leafs have done a great job you're, you're hitting the different age groups that are actually spending the money to bring the kids and you're hitting oh, them that's all. great because yeah. there's an era for everybody in that building because it might be it's the grandfather that has the money to buy the four tickets that takes the crew so there's a Daryl fan, there's the Wendell fan, right. there's a Dougie fan, there's a Cujo fan. And those you, you, you've just hit off, and they and it's, it's just smart marketing. Well, those those new fans now have an association and a, 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 a relationship to the history of the team. You know, now they get to plug into that. Whereas if you're not paying attention to the alumni from your franchise, it's very possible well, that new fans will just fall off and, a little and bit. And most of the fans in the building, because it, it costs money to get into the building right. to watch the game. They were fans of Daryl first. Right. Or and it would have been Johnny and the Chief that were just right. ahead of Daryl. Right. As they weren't ambassadors as much as they were. They always have been. But they were scouts and they but they were still twenty four seven in the building, Johnny and, yep. and and the Chief. And so that 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 kind of and you hit every era. Yeah. Like well, uh, jo- Johnny just before he passed away. And I think I want to say 20 years ago, we had a little bit of a heart issue and and then he come back and he was for 15 years, he was the youngest guy in the building. <laughs> Every time he has seen him in the building, he was cheered for like he was everybody's yeah, grandfather. Right. He wasn't just his own right. kid's grandfather. He was everybody in the building's grandfather. Right. When Johnny Bowers waved up, it was like, that's our grandfather. And, yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. You don't even know. That's him. amazing. And that's I, what Johnny was to everybody in the building. Yeah, he was probably the most one of the most loved alumni players yeah. of all time. I mean, he just gave himself. Up. And I have the honor of walking through the. Oh, I had an invite with Gordy Howe, walking for the banner raising ceremony game after Detroit won. I forget what year that was, but we sat in the stands, and we walked in through the players' entrance. And I have never seen anything like this. We walk in through the bowels of the building, and then we get out into the fans. And he was like. Babe Ruth walking into Yankee huh. Stadium, and this man sat in the seats, and regular seats behind. I don't know who his manager at the time was, a bit off, but puts him in four seats. Uh, the four of us in the seats behind the net. I had to go to the bathroom at the end of the first period. Gordy never left a seat. Fans were really good; they never asked for an autograph. But during the intermission, he couldn't get up to go to the bathroom because there was a lineup from the top of the steps wow. down for autographs. Wow! The poor guy sat there. For, I, I said. At about mid third period, I said, "We got to get him out of here." I mean, this is not right. Wow, <laughs> he was getting up in age, and you know, he, and he would have stayed. He never would have yeah. left. Yeah, that, that was Gordy. Right? No, no, Gordy was that. It was those leaders of the game, the Johnnies, the Gordies, and how they represented themselves on the ice, but off the ice, mm-hmm. and that's why their auras or likabilities is so high. Do you? Do you? It see- wasn't just on the ice. It was how they were in the public. Then the public would talk about sure. how nice a guy Johnny was or how good a guy, you know, there's Gordy Howe, the meanest guy in his era right. type thing. Right. 
he's the nicest guy ever off the yes. like all of a sudden his persona just goes through the roof because you could feel and touch it and, and another thing when i first started playing in the gardens yep the fans the glass was only two feet above the board. Right. The fans right. were right there. Right. Like you'd play in Boston Garden, they'd be pouring beer on you if you were at the hash marks. <laughs> if you're at the hash marks on the sideboards, boss, they'd reach right over. The second level in Boston was. If you're going to be pouring it on me, pour it in my mouth. Give <laughs> me a little side when the yeah. guy came over the board. Over Philly. the glass. Yeah. 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 So I, uh, one, we're running a little low on time. I do have a couple questions. One question is who was the person that you liked playing against the most? And this could have been through a rivalry or just a friend of yours that happened to be on another team. Who did you most look forward to getting out on the ice against? Did you have a player like that? No, any, it was more probably a team or it's, I, we always played the win. I didn't care who we played. Then who would your, who like, but, but the fun, when you played the West division, you played in the, we used to call it the Chuck Norris division yep. <laughs> or the West division. It was because of the Edmonton Oilers. It was goal. Yeah. Like for a young guy, 18, yep. 19, 20, and you're getting to play the Oilers. We're either winning or losing seven, five. Yeah. 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 So yeah. As a kid, the coach is going nuts, but we're going, we're going to get our chances. That's Cause, amazing. Cause Wayne and Mark and they're going, cause they're playing the Leafs. They think it's point night. Right. So they're, they're going. And so then we're going, cause I think the one game in Toronto, we beat Edmonton 11, nine, my rookie year. <sighs> Oh, I wow. said that could have been one of the most fun wow. games. <laughs> Fans loved it. Players loved it. Coaches hated it. Both coaches yeah. would have just hated the oh, game. Oh, my God. What? So the obvious question, you played against Wayne Gretzky many times. What What was that like? How How did that compare to other players? Sure. Was yeah. he that head and shoulders? Well, I, I always say individually, I would probably say Mario Lemieux is the best player. Like it's six foot five, sure. the reach, the strength, the size. But when Wayne has a group of players that are talented, that can just about think as well as he does, the things he can do on the ice is because I always compare it when, you know, you're comparing the Sidney Crosby's and now you're getting into the new younger guys. Sidney's old now. But Wayne Gretzky is still leading by a thousand points over everybody. Right. And he did it without playing in traffic. Right. Right. Think of this. He didn't have to play anywhere near traffic and still get two, three points a night. Right. So he was the foresight of setting and creating. And he's always very nice. And he always says how good these players are. And yeah. Gonna say yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was winning the scoring race by over 50 points every year. It's insane. There's been nobody that's done that. Right. And I now, hate, I hate. Compare the- apples to apples every single year. It's like when Tiger was winning 15 years in a row, number right. one. Since then, nobody's been yes, more than six months. It. Yeah, I mean, ev- everyone, I, I always hate the argument where it's like, well, it was a different game. Look at the pads. Look at this. Look at that. And it's like, if that's the case, where were the other players scoring no, as many no, points that, as he that, was? That's what I'm saying. The yeah. consistency and the closest guy to Mario, or is Mario, yeah. to, in my time, to Wayne. Right. I, I think just because Mario did it when you won the cup the one year coming back from beating cancer. Right. I said, right. Well, who, who does that even? <laughs> like, but he's the closest guy that I seen that can, can sure that controls, but you put Wayne and I, I really think that 87 Canada cup, the two Canada cups I was at the, the first one, I think Mario learned so much off Wayne. Cause basically I think nine players were from the Edmonton Oilers that right. made the team right. that made the 87 Canada cup and just watching how Wayne carried and team guy and making sure everybody's together in his way yeah i think mario took a step in that 87 so that would have been going into his third fourth year he really seen the best leader in the game sure dealing with the best players 
Because then all of a sudden, Mario started winning. Right. Oh. So I think you really seen, he learned. Then by 91 Canada Cup, I think Wayne just got me invited so I could tell him how to go out in Toronto without getting... <laughs> with, okay, Wendell, where do we go where there's no people? And have fun. Because <laughs> you think of how popular we were. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As, as Leafs. Right. Can you picture a Wayne Gretzky in Toronto? Would he have gotten... The, the game? Like, would he have gotten more attention than you in Toronto at that time? Oh, it, yeah. it, he was, he, I always say it, it's like, um, in the NHL today, there's, there's the big guys on the Leafs. Right. And the only guys in the league that I know of that are bigger than the Leafs are the league guys. So right, it's the Crosby's. Right. right. It's the Ovechkin's. Uh, yeah. But the second line guy on any team, nobody knows. Right. 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 But right. the second line guy on the Leafs. Everyone knows. Yeah. Yeah. In Canada, right. You know, yeah. kind of thing. So, it, and, and so that's where if, if Wayne was, in, in his subprime ever did I, I don't know if he could build walls big enough <laughs> any any city in any city in that much probably why he lives south right fair because he yeah. can he can come and get it or, or not have to be 24 well, a lot of the guys and they live in la and um you know they can walk around their their people are used to seeing mm-hmm. movie stars and everything else so even sydney when he takes some time off and he, he'll go to la LA's LA's to go. there because you know he, he's got a little bit more anonymity when yeah, he no, walks you're, around because but you're playing in Canada and especially Toronto and and Montreal. Um, I'm trying to think of the people's names. The, the one actor and then uh, it was a forget the player in Montreal, but he was just a fourth liner, right? And the the chef come out of the kitchen in Montreal and they, oh, and the, the fourth liner after it all lives. And he was like a big name actor. Goes who who are you? <laughs> oh, I'm the backup goalie for the Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> but that's Toronto and Montreal. Yeah. The player is bigger than the biggest movie star. Right, right. That and you go to New York and L.A., it's not like that. I, I so would imagine, So those players yeah. that play in those big cities, they have a reprieve. Right, right. Because yeah. they aren't the person. They probably enjoy coming here for the attention, and the people who live here probably enjoy going there for a little bit of a break. Yeah, yeah. no, no. Yeah. It's, and, and not a good or bad. I always find it easier to come here to Toronto as a player to start here. Because you go, okay, that this is normal. Yeah. I got here at 18, and it's this is how it is. Right. So you're uh, even a Clarkson that got traded yep. here and you come in here at 27 mm-hmm. and then you walk into, oh my gosh, I come out of New Jersey and I yeah. come into this. 20, there's people sitting in my car after practice. There's right. people, you don't understand how much how more significant it much. gets. So that's an interesting thing. When you left Toronto <clears throat> to go to other cities, was that a big kind of letdown or um, by then you had experienced all the great y- things? From yeah, there? but not a really letdown, but it, you're you're really how good it is and I this is what I've said for two years that our 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 fans have missed the game not being able to be in the building but imagine playing as a Leaf or a Montreal Canadian in a seven game series with those two buildings full I, like I just that as a player yeah. is so much fun yeah that's life changing like us as a Leaf going into Montreal and beating them and hearing that building which is normally yeah. through the roof loud quiet because they're losing Right. Like that is such That's a good great. fun thing That's when you're great. on the road and you make a building quiet or yeah. you're at home and your teams, your fans are nuts. Yeah. I, I feel bad for the players as well as the fans, that energy. Cause you're watching the games and you're seeing the difference now in the American cities where there's fans. Oh yeah. Just oh yeah. The energy in the yeah. and the players feed off that. Uh, of course. How could you not? And there's yeah. lots of players that maybe crumble under it cause it's pressure and the other players are going, this is fun tonight. Yeah. This is Saturday night. Like you would almost think that people who are used to playing in Toronto would be better handling that and it you know it, it time and time again in in toronto at least for the past few years we've struggled a little bit in the playoffs but eventually you got to assume that the that dealing with the pressure of this young group of kids 
playing with this much pressure, they're going to be able to turn the corner in the playoffs. Well, you hope so. You want to be that guy. You want that moment. Yes. You grew up as a kid. And you, how many oh, times you're sitting on a driveway, it's me and a breakaway scoring the game winner for Stanley Cup. Yeah, I said, yeah. you all did that as yep, kids. Yeah, 100%. Now these guys are getting to do it. I said, there's nothing more fun than that. Of course, of course. Like realistically, the building going nuts. And I, I know uh, when I was honored and they raised the, raised the banner there. So my family came out to center ice and my kids were young. And they never heard loud before because they've always been in the stands when they've right. watched the Leaf game. Well, you know, watching the Matt Sundin era and the right. playoffs going right. to semifinals. And so my kids get to hear a loud building. Yeah. And then they came to center ice and heard the cheering. from Because all that noise is now coming. I at said, you. that's Directed what a player hears. Yeah. I said, now you hear it from a player's standpoint, not... From yeah, that's an interesting. I've never, I've never, I've always wondered if there's like a bubble that you don't hear as much. Oh, from no, right it down goes there. right through the like when it's that loud. Yeah, it's like a concert. Like yeah, when all the music's coming in. Oh, that's amazing. You get the sound of twenty thousand fans all going in. My kids are actually scared. They never because <laughs> they'd never heard that they've been so, in it in the stands but never yeah. your kids knew what it was like to be you hearing the cheering and the opposing team scared in the ice when they're with you because you're probably gonna <laughs> yeah. take a run at them that's good uh look that was uh, a fantastic interview we're running a little bit low on time uh anything before we go what what uh, is there anything you want to plug anything you want to put out there for people to come check you out any any new uh no we're all uh hoping everybody stays safe when we get everything back going again and we can all start doing our our function related stuff can't and, wait hey when they open it up, get out to a Wendell Clark's and have yourself a, a burger or wings. Absolutely. Oh, that yeah, sounds great yeah, to me. I can't wait. You're going, at the restaurants right? going. Yeah, we got uh, Oshawa, Oshawa, Mississauga, uh, Burlington, and Saskatoon. Perfect. Good stuff. How often are people going to find you out over at well, one of those? I, I sneak in and I in all of them, but it's... That's amazing. I usually go quiet times. They don't know I'm coming in. So. It, just like Wayne Gretzky in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. He'll go in and he just kind of walks around and people go, oh my God, there he is. Yeah. You know, and then sign a few autographs and leave. And then that's the greatest experience anybody can have when they go, other than your great food. (laughs) (laughs) Part of the allure, part of the allure for sure. So thanks again so much for joining us uh, for Wendell Clark, for Brian Aaronworth, president of Frameworth and myself, Mikey Aaronworth. This is us signing off. Perfect. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching The Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at, at Retrograde Mikey, or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The Sign Off is a proud product of Fadu Productions and Sad Styles Productions, executive producers Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is Mikey Aaronworth signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it.